Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads a Song of Ice and Fire, episode 145. Brienne 3 in A Feast for Crows. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in this week. I Brienne 3 is a fun chapter. We're going to get into it. it. For some of these chapters, as bland as they might feel like at first, you're like, oh, it's not a lot's happening. There's so much little stuff going on. So I'm excited to talk about some of the little stuff and the details and the view of the, the farm folk we get. Lots of little stuff to check out. Yeah, and we get to meet quite a few of the characters, right, who play quite a role in Brienne's story and her history in this chapter. So big stuff going on. That's her story to you? Oh, I'm sorry. Her story. (laughs) As Brienne girl bosses her way, sadly, through Maidenpool. And then she goes Uh, and she gatekeeps at the gate. (laughs) Fuck. Now all that's left is to gaslight at the gallows. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a good one. Gaslight at the gallows. I'm into that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Fuck. Well, before we go into all this lovely girl bossing and gate lighting and gas keeping, wait a second. Uh, We're going to do our housekeeping. So first up, we are doing such a fun Patreon episode this month. Every month. Our patrons in the Stranger tier, the $5 and above tier, get access to bonus episodes. Uh, This month isn't a Song of Ice and Fire episode featuring two of our great friends that have come back to the podcast just for this. Our friend Ashea from History of Westeros and our friend AK Alicia Kingston, the Lord Commander. You may know her from many different YouTube channels she's appeared on as well as her own. Yes, I am very excited to have them on. We are going to talk all things Nymeria because it is, in fact, November. Please be sure to tune in for that. And we also are doing another thing for November, right? Every month for our Patreon Discord members in the Thunder Tier and above. We have a brunch slash happy hour. I... I'm excited about this month's brunch because it's themed this month. We like to do a potluck presentation over on our Discord once in a while where patrons can feel free to send over three to five slides on the theme of the month. And this month's theme is harvest, you know, harvest feast because, you know, harvest. Because it is the time of harvest. And we're a food podcast. We are a food podcast in which we are all (laughs) gathering together. (sighs) To harvest the souls. Um, no, that's oh <laughs> that's not what we're doing. But it's a thought. That's soul it's, eater. That's completely different. Yeah, it's a consideration, <laughs> and uh. that is a theme. Everyone's welcome to come in and riff on that for their potluck presentation, however they like. And when we're done, perhaps we will all gather around the fire and you know play some reindeer games, but not oh reindeer games because it's not December yet. Well, I was going to say, what are you, Stannis Baratheon? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, uh, the Discord is really um, Sandy fun. Claus. Or Thunder Tear. Jesus. <laughs> Stanny Claus. Oh. Talk about Krampus. Uh, so, our, our Discord's a blast. I, I have so much fun with our patrons there, Thunder Tear patrons and above. 
are uh, they're very silly. They're always they silly. I don't know. We have a respectful thirsting channel, which I, I mean, it stays lit up all day long. Everyone respectfully thirsts, and I mean, we have a patrol, a patrol there just to do we to make sure it's me. <laughs> I'm a, I'm not very good at it either. I'm I was like, like do we? Wow, <laughs> me. Wow, her titties are so pretty. Good picture. No. Uh, it's fun. There's a lot of fun little celebrity crushes that we've learned about in our community. So I like to, I like to visit the Respectful Thirst channel to highlight that mm-hmm. channel this week. Mm-hmm. Though aren't they all Respectful Thirsting channels? Especially Wooper writes. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Last but certainly not least, every month we put out an episode on the Amber Spyglass, a His Dark Materials episode the third and final book in the main trilogy by Philip Pullman. We're past the halfway point, so keep an eye out for that. The last Friday of each month is when you can see that in your podcast stream. And next week, as it will probably be like the last Friday of November, mm-hmm. you will be getting a His Dark Materials episode. Yeah. That's also part of the harvest. Oh my god, reap what you fucking sow, am <laughs> I right? The Grim uh, Reaper. Stick those carrots in your ears. What? Carrots in my baby girl's ears. I don't know that. Uh, And speaking of other series, which I know we keep hinting that one day we'll do some other ones. um, I also want to plug our good friend Matt, a.k.a. Joe Magician. Michael, a.k.a. Buckshaw Stud, and I went and joined him. You know, got... Got the gang back together for a little bit to go talk about Dying of the Light over on Joe Magician's Patreon. So go take a look at that. I read a whole yeah. last book for Matt. Please, like, I mean, do this for me also. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dig into that for Eliana because she did it for me because I could not, I, I couldn't tear myself away to do that. And now I kind of have to if I'm going to listen you? to this episode. I mean, well, you know, our good friend Mary, Maester Mary, yes, uh, yes. up from under Winterfell, who we've had on before from Learned Hands, they yeah, were also on yeah, the episode. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, go check that out. <laughs> well, let's hop into our lightning round, starting with Sansa 1. Sansa watches Peter take advantage of the giant power vacuum that murdering Liza has caused in the Vale. The Kraken's daughter, Asha awaits her supporters at Ten Towers and encounters Christopher Botley on the way to her Queen's Moot. Wow, just like Brienne encountering really <laughs> Anyways. I know, I was like, Cersei parallels. Three. Cersei three. Everyone annoys Cersei. Uh Cersei orders a rather spectacular light show take place at her remaining son's wedding. <laughs> She also spends the night having several panic attacks. Mood. Speaking Same. of panic attacks, the soiled knight, <laughs> handsome, stupid, sad Ares Oakheart, is convinced by Ariane to become a kingmaker. I'd be pretty convinced too. Dude, he has he has like panic attacks like every day. He's like, <laughs> oh god, oh no, I had sex. <laughs> What do I do? Uh, panic attacks on those titties. <gasps> uh, it's actually kind of, of sad because he dies. <sighs> that brings us into Brienne 3. Brienne has a pretty busy chapter. She meets Randall Tarly and ends up choosing to go back on the path with Nimble Dick Crab. Yes. And so Brienne 3 starts. Brienne thinks she's passing through the place where Cleos died. 
where Jamie snatched Cleos's sword, maybe even the woods they had fought in. But at the same time, it really all is looking exactly the same in the backdrop, and she can't actually tell. Padre calls her out of her memories, asking what is she looking for. She says it does not matter, and tells him to stay quiet because outlaws roam these woods. Those outlaws are pretty dangerous, and he says he can fight with his longsword, but Brienne thinks not well enough. Just from the start of the chapter, the interiority of what Brienne's thinking about Padrick versus what she's saying to him and how she's gentle with him, uh, but also like fair with him and how she treats him. I really love that. She doesn't speak down to him. She still promises to train him and work with him, even though she's not really, she's not amped about his abilities. She's like, I don't know if this boy's going to make it, but I'll try to train him to, you know, she's like, I'll try. And I, I kind of like their relationship. We're about to learn a little more about Podrick's background, but because of their hardships, we kind of see how this has molded each of them. They really seem to get along due to this, right? There's even some sort of comparison to be made with Tyrion and Brienne in this moment that Tyrion didn't really seem to get through Podrick's shell. Uh, in fact, he thought this was a jape. He thinks he did not have the patience to try and coax a thought out of the lad whom he suspected had been inflicted on him as a cruel jape, which we know that maybe it wasn't, you know, uh, not thoughtless. Maybe he's just fucking scared shitless at being tossed around from family member to non-family member to lord to lord uh, from war. He's just trying to survive, you know? And, and it's interesting because Tyrion thought this too about Sansa, right? Hmm. When you think about it, like Sansa, he, he thought, is she weak? Is she, is this a joke that I've been inflicted with her? No, Tyrion, it's a joke because they were inflicted with you. Um, but he underestimates her too due yeah. to that. Uh, he gets left on his ass actually because of that underestimation of his wife and what she was capable of. And Podrick now has joined team Brienne in search mm. of the wife that, you know, he thinks will help Tyrion. You lost Pod, too, Tyrion. Shit's not good for you right now. Yeah, shit is, in fact, very bad for Tyrion right now. But we don't know <laughs> that, because that's book five. Um, oh, my God. JK, we do. They were it's one book once, three, God. Once upon a time. But then God split them apart. <laughs> Zeus split God them apart. George Zeus was R. like, R. it's too mighty with their four arms and four legs. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I like what you were bringing up about Tyrion, uh, because there is really a comparison there, right, between Tyrion and, and Brienne, too. And we've talked about it a little in the previous few chapters of how he sort of reacts in terms of the way that people have ridiculed him. And he actually, like, develops from it very differently from Brienne, right? Because obviously they both grew up with a lot of people making fun of them, and, and we've talked about them making it their armor, but Tyrion... As you said, right, he he underestimates Pod and he isn't really able to extend the same sort of like sympathy or empathy even to him because, as you said, like he assumes that Pod's been inflicted upon him. And we'll see of Brienne throughout this chapter and the rest of her journey, the way people act towards her sort of leads her to assume that, I mean, no matter what, she's going to be ridiculed. It's always going to be people's first reaction towards her. And she just assumes people want to cut her down. Uh, I mean, I understand why she's had a pretty traumatic life, and that's kind of how people have acted towards her. But in this instance, maybe she reacts differently to Pod because she wasn't really obligated to take him on in the same way as Tyrion was. Like, no one told her to. She was just like, 
you poor kid. And so I kind of wonder if that's why her reaction's a little different to him. But I also think that partially it's because Brienne sees a bit of herself and her own shyness, her timidity in, in Podrick, and this sort of like, as we're seeing through her chapters and her perspective, she has this large hidden world inside of her and, and she sees that reflected in Podrick as she realizes, oh, he he's clever, he's just like not great at speaking, which not everyone can be, and versus Tyrion, right? He's been primed to assume insult first as well because his family is admittedly like really terrible to him. And so he's kind of too focused, I think, on nurturing and protecting himself to really get to know Podrick in that way. Yeah, there's also like for Tyrion that performative aspect, right? Mm, of like yes. trying to pr prove himself at every moment. And Podrick has, I mean, Tyrion passed the point of hiding to stop inflicting himself on others. And he's kind of crossed the line over to everyone is being inflicted on me. You yeah. know, I, I was already a monster. We already knew this. Uh, and I think there's really something to say like about how Brienne in this chapter specifically she actually really can relate to that as she is sent back to being eight years old again, yeah. right? Because Pod's 10 to 12 years old, right? He's Arya's age. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you've noted here of her being sent back to feeling like she's eight years old is so key to part of what's going on in this chapter, right? The chapter starts off with Brienne revisiting somewhere she's already been, and we've called that out in other POVs, right? Where Jamie's revisiting places that he was in the Riverlands and seeing how he's changed, and Catelyn has done the same too, revisiting other places, and we're seeing that with Brienne now. She's revisiting a place from her story where we've seen her, but as she goes through that part of her past, we're going through even deeper into the past, into her memories, and people from that past in this chapter yeah ghosts are haunting this chapter for sure brienne had gotten podrick's life story on the road he's a lesser pain impoverished his father had squired for rich cousins siring him on a chandler's daughter before going off to die in the Greyjoy rebellion his mother abandoned him with those cousins at the age of four so she could run after a singer and Sir Cedric Payne had taken care of Podrick, though more like a servant than his own son. When Casterly had called its banners, Cedric brought Podrick along to Squire, but then he died in the Riverlands. In return, Podrick joined Sir Lorimer the Belly, a fat hedge knight in Lord Lefford's group. Lorimer had liked to say that those guarding the foodstuffs always eat the best until he was discovered stealing ham from Tywin's personal stores and then he was hanged as a lesson to the other looters. And we have this thought from Brienne. Podrick shared the ham and might have shared the rope as well, but his name saved him. I thought that was so interesting, especially with his future, right? Sharing the rope. <laughs> Which he doesn't get out of that with Brienne, right? He shares yeah. in food and drink with her throughout this chapter. Has this boy not suffered enough? Holy shit. And he was at the Blackwater. Oh my god. <sighs> he better survive, dude. I'm real worried about Pod. Uh, and, I think he survives because David and Dan told so us too. so. <laughs> Chloe's ready to quit right now. She's like, fuck it. I'm not even going to fire her. She's just done. Risk it all. I'm putting in my one hour right now. This is my one hour. I'm quitting. Uh, my one hour notice. There's something about this that does remind me. I hate to say the name. 
there is something about this that reminds me of Stannis's camp, question mark, uh, in that he would not have been spared by Stannis, though. Like, he's very lucky his name saved him, and they saw some sort of worth in that, or some sort of, you know, don't really want to fuck with House Pain energy, especially after, you know, parts of House Pain just died for them in the Riverlands. And I also suppose that the Lannister camp is a different camp, right? When you think about the North, which we will talk about more of this chapter as we see Tycho Nestoris's ships. When you think of North, they have no food, winter's coming, zombies on the horizon. But the Lannisters are fighting in the South and they're just trampling people's food supplies for fun. Yeah, it's they're going to regret that later. Truly, everyone's going to have many regrets. I always regret when I don't eat. Yeah, same. So. That's why you gotta steal the ham. <laughs> I get steal it. the ham. I get it. What if it's the rum ham from Always Sunny? Mm. Did you ever see that episode? I don't think, I don't know. It depends on when it was, but also I forgot. Like, I watched, like, I don't know, literally three seasons of It's Always Sunny in, like, a, I don't know, 48 hour period or, like, something like that. Like, I. I was Basically, young, they I go to, to the sleep. Jersey Shore. They go to the Jersey Shore, and Frank has this ham that he has drenched in rum and pineapple and stuffed. And they end up at sea. Long story short, and he loses the rum ham, but it comes back to him full of seawater, and he eats it. But he just calls out. It's very much so like Castaway, like Davos, you know, with, okay. with the hmm. you know rum ham, just calling after it. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just wondering if they were chasing after that rum ham. It's a big moment in pop culture. Yeah. All right. Um. I will. I will have to. I need to catch up. I need. To, I know there's like 12 seasons probably from when I stopped watching. It's always sunny. I'm probably like eight seasons in is where I left off at like, and then I didn't come back for season nine. But I need to catch up as well. It was like a decade ago. This show's been well, when you're done time. with Vampire Diaries, now I, you yeah. have something new to... Yeah, I've been watching So Vampire in season Diaries. six, when you quit it... <laughs> well, I thought that it ended in season six, right? No, it goes no. eight seasons? I don't know. Either way, yeah. the most fantastical part is that they use Bing as a search engine, like, in earnest. And I'm like, that's not real. Oh my god. <laughs> so, Kevin Lannister takes charge of Podrick next. And then, as you all know, he goes on to Squire for Tyrion... And Tyrion had dispatched him to learn arms from Aaron Santagar, but unfortunately, Aaron Santagar was killed in the riot. So there goes Pod's training, and that's why he's like not so super great at sword fighting. But I will say there is something interesting going on here with Pod's story, and the class part is touched on in regards to what Brienne has said. It has protected him in a way that it wouldn't many of the other kids and the other war orphans. And his story is also very much about the consequences of war, right? And and what that looks like for that next generation. And each of Pod's mentors and parental figures, they've all been stolen by war. And because of that, he's been very lonely, right? He's been deprived of companionship and guardianship because, again, the war keeps killing uh, his, his dad and all his like other semi-surrogate dads. I mean, we're seeing that along the way for so many others, right? Like Edric, for example, Storm, uh, being passed around from his mentors and then brought up to die and whisked away again. Uh, But it also reminds me of like John and Arya a lot throughout this story. We've seen that happen for them, right? Like Arya and Sirio and 
John with his eight dads at the wall and beyond and north, you know, all the different fathers he has. Um, there's just some sort of correlation here between broken children left to suffer in war mm-hmm. and their guardians that are dying trying to impart with them something to help them survive. Yeah, or Sad. keep dying for them to keep them alive, like Corn Halfhand. Well, and and there's something else. Yeah, that was that was the worst one. You know, that was. Oh, don't get me started. I miss those chapters. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, there, there's also something that, like, as we've talked about a bit, that you know, he he wasn't treated like a like a squire. He wasn't treated, you know, nicely. He was treated more like a servant. Brienne notices, hmm. uh, and I'm sure that his kind of his faculties and the way that he approaches people, that's also part of why he's quiet. You know, like, his family wasn't great. I mean, he didn't even have great mentors. Aaron Santigar's good, right? That that was good for the couple lessons, but... Yeah. I mean... He didn't have good mentors. The poor boy is probably shaking in his boots anyone breathing near him hard enough, you know? Yeah. I remember there's that, like, scene where Tyrion's like, let's try and, like, give him some confidence by helping him like you know testing him on the banners but then i don't know yeah he hasn't had like anyone to teach him to be confident he's never been in one place long enough also probably to like make friends yeah and then uh, and or then when he was treated like a servant he probably didn't have as much time to have well, friends you, you yeah that and like you he can't be friends with the other servants because he's not actually a servant right there's that class yep. disparity which is like we see in in Arya's story and john's story so we probably just had to like stay quietly at attention with his shitty cousins that were dicks if he was even like with them and then like we've seen what happens in Tyrion's story he's just kind of like i don't know hey Tyrion, what's up Tyrion's like hey and then they go, go to a, run, a battle fuck off, pod. <laughs> and then yeah. they're like in a battle and that was a traumatic battle for many people <laughs> Specifically, this freaking eleven-year-old, twelve-year-old boy, yeah. but also especially. Uh, and then, I, now that I think about it, he also saw then his mentor. Maybe he was like that again, as he sees like yeah. Tyrion's face get attacked, and he's like, "Fuck, fuck." That is a bit. I, I think you're right there. I actually do think that might be a, like a big pivotal yeah. someday in the future. Maybe it's near future. Maybe it's late future. Maybe it's Tyrion. tomorrow under the books. Oh, I, oh my God. I, I thought you were talking chair. about the winds of winter and that being addressed. No, um, never mind. no. Uh, but Tyrion's chapters, there's a lot of pod mm. in there to look at. So yeah. we'll definitely see that more. Pod is underfed, skinny, not strong. And Brienne, of course, warns him, if you're going to stick around, you're going to have to give it your all. You're going to get bloodied and bruised. And he says he wants it. And so far, so good. He hasn't complained at all to their training. He's showing off his wounds proudly, which is very cute. Brienne thinks, he is still no squire, but I am no knight. No matter how many times he calls me sir, she would have sent him on his way, but he had nowhere to go. Yeah, I probably should have said this in the previous time we were talking, but I, I really just want to bring up this quote from Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada, because my friend keeps talking about it in regards to her and her dog. Um, but I think it also uh, applies here for Tyrion and Podrick and all of Podrick's mentors of, and it's just another disappointment, another letdown, another father figure. 
gone. Thank you, Meryl uh, Streep. <laughs> what a poet, you know. Yeah. What a poet. Miranda Priestly. <laughs> I it, it's true cuz it is a letdown and there is something in this uh, as we kind of see Brienne confronting, you know, the crossroads of not only where she is and where she's going but also of her gender, right? And not being able to be a knight. The difference between Dunk and Egg where Dunk, you know, we mostly believe he's not mm-hmm. a knight, that he wasn't properly knighted. Uh, but only a knight can make another knight. So, like, Podrick being put with Brienne, after being put with Tyrion, which was already, like, the best worst placement they had left for him. They're like, you can be with Tyrion, I guess, kid. Yeah. But now he's stuck with Brienne, who, like, can't make him a knight, because she's not a yeah. knight. And it's, like, it's such a dead end, right? Like, she would have sent him on his way, but he had nowhere to go. And now she's stuck with this kid. She can't. Similar to how Dunk is stuck with Egg, the opposite predicament. But like she can't bring him up in the world. You know, like your job as knight, if you have a squire, which is the opposite way of his cousin Cedric treating him, is like you're supposed to bring them up in the world and like lift them so they can be strong. And you're all stronger as one knighthood and all that shit. And he didn't do that. Yeah, that's a great point because obviously, I mean, Tyrion's not a knight, right? Like he, like yeah. Brienne. They don't have the right body that people consider for what knights should be like. And therefore, they don't get to have that honor or whatever. And I do think, and maybe we can talk about this more as the chapters go along. Despite Brienne taking in Podrick, there isn't like a dynamic in which anyone ever reads it as like her playing a motherly figure to him which i think is interesting Mm. you know that is the only child she will ever have i mean maybe probably in all likelihood and but like not for that brainy brunch brunch. i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that she should be treating him like her son um i'm just saying that it's interesting that it's not assumed or looked at that way and obviously like with the age difference that they have older sibling slash mentor figure makes more sense but oh, I mean, instead sees of the her sister it's her brother yeah. uh yes yeah that's her sibling her brother that she yeah. chose kind of not really he was kind of just well wasted. <laughs> i mean it again like you said from the fabulous writing of david and dan uh pod is her brother right According to yes. the, the hit right, of TV show that the books were based upon. Yeah, and the how brother and Pod's, Pod's, Pod's gonna live, you know? Oh my god, is that why Jamie and Brienne are canon? Because technically they were brother and sister of the Kingsguard, which meant they could... Wow. Anyways, so... I'm just kidding, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, as... As Brienne and Pod go down the road, they find an ox cart being dragged along by farm folk, a man and woman, toward Maidenpool. Brienne tells Podrick they should approach very cautiously, as these people might think they're outlaws. Haha. <laughs> the farmers allow them to ride beside them once they realize they're not dangerous, and they go together through the wreckage. The couple tells them they used to have an ox, but the wolves made off with him, and their daughter, too. Oh, see... This is about both sides. We've already talked about this, though, but hashtag yes, both sides of the war. 
Also, I wonder if in a sense this is foreshadowing, right, about outlaws. You've talked about this, I think, already a little, but with the hanging stuff, as we all know, they do encounter the outlaws later on in the story. It's a reread, and Largely, though, like many of the other POVs, including Catelyn's, whose POV we did before this one, Brienne's arc is also very much about the disillusionment of the songs. Podrick, as we all know, is still very young. He's still hoping for and romanticizing adventure, like many of the boys his age do. And as many of the other POVs we've seen have done, and, and characters, even Brienne. And... And they were like that at the start of the series, and then you can see Podrick thinks like, wow, being an outlaw sounds cool and exciting. I'd love to be mistaken for one. And I'm like, I get it. It does seem like very cool and broody and sexy. I, I, I feel that, and I would want that for me too, Pod. But turns out outlaws actually suck, and <laughs> they're super mean to him. Like, really mean, and especially when they decide, even though they're the outlaws, that Brienne and Pod are also outlaws, like doubly outlaws, and then try to hang them. Yeah, there's almost something to it of like, you know, outlaws are being outside of the law. Hmm. And this chapter is very much so you should live within the law, says Randall Tarly. So maybe <laughs> what I'm saying is that capitalism in Westeros has got to come. I'm just kidding. It's feudalism. Feudalism in Westeros. But what if we just stopped with the family feudalism? Ah, oh, God. You know, there are many types of outlaws, Eliana. Many they make types you of outlaw and outlaw. <laughs> no, I was going to say, just as there are many types of birds, can you keep up? Oh, wow. No, I can't, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> the couple tells Brienne their daughter came back after Duskendale's battles, but the ox never did. The woman is 20 years younger than the man, and she has very little to say. The Maid of Tarth had seen such eyes before. Lady Stark had been kind to her, but most women were just as cruel as men. She could not have said which she found most hurtful, the pretty girls with their waspish tongues and brittle laughter, or the cold-eyed ladies who hid their disdain behind a mask of courtesy. And common women could be worse than either. I have a couple things to say about this. First, the term that's used to describe the look the woman gives... Brienne is that she looks at Brienne as though Brienne is a two-headed calf and I just really want to share this poem because it's a really nice poem from Laura Gilpin in 1977 and it's actually probably kind of popular because I've seen people circulate it and someone made like a nice comic of it and it's it's quite nice but it's called the two-headed calf and it's like tomorrow when the farm boys find this freak of nature they will wrap his body in newspaper and carry him to the museum but tonight he is alive and in the north field with his mother. It is a perfect summer evening, the moon rising over the orchard, the wind in the grass, and as he stares into the sky, there are twice as many stars as usual. And I'm like, wow, Brienne, what if you being a two-headed calf and when people think you're a freak of nature, it's really because you're the best and there are twice as many stars as usual. Um, Eliana, that that can't be our only analysis of Brienne for the next, like, however many weeks. You know that, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, Brienne, I have the point another is, analysis. you're good. Okay. <laughs> Brienne, well, I like we this one. You. I do. Well, no, we said, we said that she was a little bad last week. We did. Mm-hmm. In projecting on Renly. Mm-hmm. We were fair. <laughs> I think. 
she she's a little bad this week in it too i feel for her because there is something double-sided there right like she thinks the cold-eyed ladies who hid their disdain behind a mask of courtesy and i'm like renly renly did hide his disdain behind a mask of courtesy girl that's true that's true i guess she's so I, I wonder it seems like well she spent a lot of her more recent years it sounds like around men and has been isolated and i used to think that this was george maybe intentionally writing women in westeros as being more isolated and that being part of like the patriarchal nature of their society but now after reading dying of the light i realized as there was only one woman character and everyone projected on her i was like no this is george's writing <laughs> it was mm -hmm. not an intentional choice but um I mean, she's surrounded by men, and I, I think that what you say, what you said is true, it's unfair, but at the same time, it is, like, and this is something that we discussed in our Ella Enchanted Patreon episode, <laughs> about how women, right, just as much as men can also very much be those gatekeepers, um, you know, of, of gender, right, and reinforce gender roles, impose them on women, and that's part of how, like, uh, the rigid gender structure gets... Yeah, reinforced in society, but also regarding the statement that common women could be worse. I, I thought that was interesting because of something that we had brought up a few chapters ago. And by chapters, I mean episodes, because this was during the Catelyn chapters of how uh, the women exist on this same spectrum and how the violence against common women is used to reinforce the the sanctity or whatever of the upper class women and so there's something interesting there about like women common women being worse and i it's because what could they get away with what brienne's doing i don't think so mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. not in the same way she's protected and we see later on right she's partially protected by having connections like heil hunt who's like yeah that's the maid of tarth or even jamie trying to be like you don't want to rape her because you'll get her weight in sapphires yeah or, you know, Randall Tarly, who subscribes to the idea that, you know, she's someone's daughter, man. <laughs> or he's like, just wash her out with lie. He would have done that if she okay. weren't Brienne of Tarth. He would have, no, he would have done that if she weren't Brienne yeah, of Tarth. Yeah, he would have. He would have. And speaking of Lord Tarly, our guy here uh, with the ox cart has some things to say. He's like, Tarly's a hard man, but he's brave, much braver than Lord Mooton. He explains that he had hunted down the worst of the outlaws and shortened them with his big sword. He asks if they'd seen any outlaws on their trip, but surprisingly it was quiet on the journey. Again, because you guys are the outlaws. Uh, they did encounter one of Lord Randall's patrols the day before, and they surrounded them and questioned Brienne. They had let Brienne and Podrick go on after that with only a warning, and they say, Be wary, as the next men you meet may not be as honest as these lads. Jesus. Jesus fucking Christ. There was even word that the Hound had crossed the Trident with a hundred outlaws raping and reaving whatever they come across. Brienne was obligated to warn this couple about him, and the man spit, saying, The others take them all. They won't dare come to Maidenpool with Lord Tarly ruling. So sad, because hmm. that's all they know. You know, like, they don't know, really, what these people are and what they do. They're just like, that one's gonna help. Mood. What a mood. Yeah. Don't, what, what is the word? Don't put your politicians on a pedestal, ox cart man. Yeah. 
Brienne thinks of her own experience with Lord Tarly, and she does despise him, but she also thinks she kind of owes him a debt-ish, and she prays that they pass around Maidenpool before they can meet again. Yes, she tells the farmers that Lord Mooton had been pardoned, that he'd be coming back soon enough, and the old man laughs, saying, For what? We have this line of, He sent men off to Riverrun to fight, but never went himself. Lines sacked his town, then wolves and sellswords, and his lordship just sat safe behind his walls. His brother had never hid like that. Sir Miles was bold as brass till that Robert killed him. We never really get clarity on if Miles had been the lord at the time. I don't think he was. I think he was the second brother. But this Miles was one of Rhaegar's squires. He was actually knighted by Rhaegar. Yeah, he was one of six men Robert killed in the Battle of the Bells. And it's very obvious that Mooton, the current Mooton, William Mooton, is a different brother. Uh, Uh William has sent these men off to die across the Riverlands and Crownlands. We see that later. We come across dead men with salmon sigils on their outfits hanging. And you see he just sat up in his tower. In a way, though, there is something interesting with the way he's brought out later that we'll talk about uh, more in detail of his outfit, too. But he kind of reminds me of Edmir with Hmm. Tarly here. Uh, Tarly's obviously moving in on this land space, right, as we're about to learn. And it's a different fish, but he's a hostage in his own home. Mm, that's such a good point. That's a great comparison. The man says that Mooton's daughter is a maid until she marries Tarly's son, Dickon. And I'm like, it's the same as Brienne, who's just like, uh, Dickon's like eight or ten, maybe? <laughs> and then... She thinks of her own first proposal at age seven to a boy three years her senior, Lord Karen's son. He dies two years later from the same chill the rest of his family died from. And had he lived, her life would probably be much different. She would not be here, dressed in armor, looking for Sansa Stark. She'd be at Nightsong, swaddling her own child, nursing another. And I, there's this fantastic line of, It was not a new thought for Brienne. It always made her feel a little sad but a little relieved as well. <laughs> yeah, there's something really sad in that, like bittersweet sadness going on there of, you know, she's thought about it, but it's not her. It's not what she wants. That's not you. <laughs> it's not me. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, uh, Nymeria the wolf. Yeah, Speaking not anymore. Oh. Yeah. Is that what she says? I don't remember the lines from that show. Fuck. The one in season eight. She's like, not yeah, anymore. yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Could have been her. Uh, <laughs> anyways, a very serious moment that we, you know, did what we always do too. Uh, yeah, that's such a bittersweet thought. I mean. No matter what, like, everyone's thought about it, you know? Whether you want a child or not, you've all had that thought somewhere. I know I've thought about it. I'm not particularly sure I want one, but I've thought about it. Everyone's thought it before. And for Brienne, it is, again, that confrontation and that crossroads of who she is and what she wants to be and how Westeros, you know, smooshes down on her and doesn't let her do that. Yeah, I... I, yeah... I love that line just because, I mean, I get it. She's sad because would her life be easier? Would she face less ridicule if she was able to fit into that mold? 
but also the relief in that, I mean, yeah, that's not her. Yeah, and she doesn't have to force herself into that. Mm-hmm. That is relieving, or force that out of her is also mm-hmm. relieving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, all of it, like the relief of just being able to try and figure out what her authentic self is. Yes. And speaking of marriage and babies here, I found this marriage going on in the background very interesting that mm-hmm. Dickon Tarly is marrying Mooton's daughter, right? Yeah. So let's follow this. Mooton obviously is a weak ass bitch and he has a weak ass <laughs> bitch hold on his lands and he's being held in a tower like a fucking prisoner, right? So Tarly is married to a Florent. Hmm. The Florence just lost all their fucking land. Mm-hmm. So this is likely a trip for him to get his portfolio back in positive standing, right? And there's more to come on that because we also, again, noticed some ships in the background. Who knows? Maybe there was more investing going on in this city at the time than we know. But looking at the history for the Mutons, especially in Targaryen history, Uh, As a house in the Riverlands, not too far from the Crownlands, which is an interesting border, you know, for these houses to kind of be around, uh, the Mutons were always richer than the Tullys, but they stood against Hmm. Aegon the Conqueror, so they were not named the Lords of Harrenhal like the Tullys Hmm. were, which I find kind of interesting. I'm like, that kind of shades our current story in different tones. They started the dance on the side of the Blacks, but then they were the ones that hosted Nettles for that time and like hid Mm. nettles from Rhaenyra refusing to give her over and then Manfred Mooton ends up serving Egg 3 for life as as a a, what should we call it advisor regent Regent, whatever yeah whatever Manfred did and then we see kind of an echo of that hostility between Tully and Mooton in Robert's Rebellion because they supported Aerys they didn't support the Tullys they didn't fight for their liege and I wonder if we'll see this to come, right? Because we have the switching allegiances going on mid-dance already with Tarly possibly being the friends in the reach for Aegon, right? And if Daenerys comes to Westeros, maybe the Mutants will stand for or against her. We'll oh. find out. That'd be interesting. But if they're married to Dickon, then maybe not this time. Which I think is kind of the hope, right? I yeah. think Tarly is positioning himself into these places. He's giving Dickon yeah. this uh, home. But it does really seem like he's straight up there to just, like, monopoly that shit. Like, all right, I'm taking the deed to the city. Here you go, son. Stamp, stamp. Yeah, yeah. Especially because Dickon's so young. It's it's very... Mm-hmm. Tommen. It's very much like Tommen, who just got married yeah. four chapters ago. Yeah, it he shows just a sense of desperation. Yeah, because, like, usually if you're not desperate, you, like, wait a little. So, yeah, it, that is interesting and, and really solidifies what you're saying of, like, the mirroring, the two fishes, the two different fishies. Mm-hmm. Fish eat fish world. <laughs> two trout, and I mean trout and salmon. They are both delicious fish, but in different ways. Do they? But no, I don't know if they eat fish. I'm saying they're delicious. Oh, For me, I eat fish. Yeah, yeah, me, a person who eats fish. I am the fish eating the other fish. We're all just fish in the end. It turns out they actually, though. Uh, the, they actually belong to the same fish family, I think. Now oh, that I'm really? Googling. That makes sense. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm. Good job, George. Good job. Love me a smoked trout. George R. Anyway. R. Martin, zoologist. <laughs> so, 
They reach Maidenpool, Tommen's banner flying above its gatehouse, and Tarly's banners are prominent as well. And that red salmon of Mooton flies only on the castle at its tail. I don't know why when I think of Mooton, I think of Moomin. Um, guarding the castle are men from Tarly's host, though none that Brienne knows, nor Tarly's own. There are two centaurs, a thunderbolt, a blue beetle, and a green arrow, but no huntsman. But get it, get it, uh, George is putting in the things that those superheroes he likes, such as Blue Beetle and Green Arrow. Maybe the Thunderbolt also. But anyways, those are all Easter eggs. Leading them is a man with a peacock on his chest who's rather rude with the farm folk, flinging pennies at their feet and trying to take all of their eggs. The woman stands up for them, but he starts to say, no, he plans to buy her with those pennies too, and then Brienne steps in and she protects him, and the man says, you smell like an outlaw, and I bet she smells great, and he says what Randall does to outlaws, and Brienne's like, yeah, well, I know what he does to rapers, and he's like, excuse me? And she's like, raper! And anyways, so the sergeant commands his men to spread out, and they surround her with their swords. I had to remind myself who the peacock was, and we see the peacock in Clash of Kings, and it's uh, House Serret. We see them in Clash of Kings and Arya's chapters. We see them in Thrones brought up. Uh, I want to say Tyrion, when his dad is like, Tyrion, are you going to be Hand of the King for me now? And Tyrion's Hmm. like, why don't you ask Lord Serret instead of me? Um, I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're a Westerland house. I have no rival, is their motto. Uh, and they, mm. they seem pretty respected by the Lannisters, you know, by their lieges, apparently, to uh, have a prominent position still in these battles. Though, you know, they can take what they can get at this point, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, Bran's ready to fight him. Um, maybe this is foreshadowing for later with no chance no choice i don't know but another voice comes to support brienne so she does have choices and chances here but you know who doesn't have chances heil hunt he's the one who comes in he wears a once white surcoat stained from grass and blood his sigil on his chest a brown deer dead and bound and slung beneath a pole it's kind of weird it's a weird sigil Ooh, he is the <laughs> weird kid it's weird wow. Uh, I also love that he's immediately got his Jamie Lannister cosplay on, a once white surcoat stained mm-hmm. from grass and blood. What, you think that's going to get her hot? You think that's going to do it? Anyways. Yeah, she's like, I've seen dry cleaning and that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Lannister introduced me to a new life. Um, Hyle does stick in. He sticks up and in for her. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Uh, he gelds them or sends them to the wall. Sometimes both, and he cuts fingers off thieves. So when Brienne hears his voice, she thinks it's a punch in her stomach, his face a blade in her bowels. And she greets him very stiffly, and he calls her Brienne the Beauty, the maid of Tarth, who slew Renly and half his rainbow guard. She's as mean as she is ugly, and there's no one uglier, except perhaps for you. Piss pot, but your father was the rear end of an oryx, so you have a good excuse. Her father is the even star of Tarth. Interesting. Are you saying that you're hot for Selwyn? I... That would be interesting. That would be quite quite the twist. He um, is a... I bet he's a thick, powerful man. You know what I mean? They're too, I guess, a, He like, did get a lot of women. Yeah, he fucks. Apparently he does. And you know what? If he also... I don't know which side of the family it is that's descended from Dunk, but... 
as we've as we've established long long ago dunk fucked yeah and there's a little bit of targ blood in there probably too somewhere now because there was a tarth down that line so you know when will Brienne get to fuck? When will this gene pass on and be activated in her? The winds of winter when her and Jamie are on the road as outlaws together. They're going to be fucking. <gasps> it's going to happen. And Pod's going to just be covering his ears like, oh no. God. Because Jamie has to have time to, like, you know, have a total mental breakdown about it. So it has to happen next book. Mm. True, God. true. God. The next book in the series uh well b- before this the soiled night was the chapter right before this as we so eloquently <laughs> talked about at the top of the episode uh and the the whole topic of gelding coming up reminds me of the story of lucamore the lusty right it was brought up in the last chapter so that actually it, it kind of flows well into this especially with brienne who dreams of king's guardship what of Lucamore the Lusty with his three wives and sixteen children? That song always makes me laugh. The truth is not so funny. He was never called Lucamore the Lusty whilst he lived. His name was Sir Lucamore Strong, and his whole life was a lie. When his deceit was discovered, his own sworn brothers gelded him, and the old king sent him to the wall. Those sixteen children were left weeping. Wow, that's very intense, Aries Oakhart. It's very yeah. intense. It is, and that's why he has a panic attack every time he has sex. Um, because he just thinks about Terrence Toynes. <laughs> yeah, he's gelding. like, "Oh my god, that could be me!" <laughs> At any moment, any yeah, given he's moment, like I'm not gonna give them the chance. <laughs> Runs into the axe, but. Yeah, uh, that's a great comparison though to to bring up the soiled night and like that soiled uh cloak with this mm-hmm. yeah with Hyle's cloak mm-hmm. the Hyle this- High Club sorry <laughs> oh my god so <laughs> the sergeant though is confused he's like why aren't we killing her then for murdering King Renly we supported him and they're like get with it Renly was a rebel and we are not rebels anymore we serve King Tommen and then they wave the farm folk through, and the old man says, Thanks, my lord, you're a true knight. It's plain to see. Come, wife. These people never get names. <laughs> Just come, uh, wife. I mean, they're lucky they even got some money for those eggs that Brienne stood up for them. And before I talk about that, I just have to say, you know, this guard, you can't blame this sergeant because... It's that line from the broken man speech, right? Like, and then the man yells for him, and he comes. The, the line, you know, in the speech, we're scared. There's like a lot Davos of lines. <laughs> There's so many fucking lions. I don't. Uh, it's the line about when the brothers break apart, you know, to the new man who's like, "You are mine now." Blah, mm. That line, and mm. that comes through right there, right? Like that man doesn't even know who they serve anymore. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah, it, I get that. That's just like my work. There's turnover like crazy. I don't know who I serve. And yeah, that's this man. Psst, I'm him. That's me. I'm the real <laughs> oh, him. Oh no! He's the real me. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Uh, I don't know. They're coming back to the farm folk and the old man. 
being like, thank you, gentlemen, kind knight, for helping us through all this. And, like, it's like the fable of the little red hen that I like so much. I don't think that I've brought it up in a while. I don't think I've brought it up in a while. You know, if you haven't heard it in a while, sit back, kick back. You know, the red hen is like, okay, well, the red hen's a little different. It's Brienne. But Brienne's like, you know, I'm going to take care of you guys. I ask nothing of you. The blue hen. I don't know. She's turning red. Let's let's be real. Mm. And... Red for lusty, gonna be Brienne the lusty if she don't cool it with this next book she's in. Well, anyways, the hen makes bread. Her friends don't help her. Then at the end of the day, they're like, "I want some bread," but it's like the inverse of that because Brienne did like all the work to get them through. She stood up and protected them, like stood up and got in the middle of it and was like, "Whoa, you are." being really cruel and callous and underpaying my new friends that I got all the way here from the road. Mm-hmm. And she was like, and, and then, then she, she was ready to fight these. She was going to risk it all for them. No chance, no choice for those eggs. I know, you know? right? Dunk loves his egg. <gasps> the eggs! Oh my god, it's That's so... Brienne and the eggs. Dunk and the egg. Oh my god. god. Dunk wow. egg is all over this book. God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess the man obviously knows that he is a farm folk and no one respects women. So, like, since women don't have the same power, I get why he wouldn't be like, thanks, ma'am, lady, sir. You know, I get why he wouldn't, like, turn out and be like, thank you for helping us, since obviously these people aren't liking her. Like, he's probably reading the room. But also, I'm like, Hylon didn't do shit. Yeah, he didn't. He, he did. Really didn't. In a way, he used his power to make the guards, like, chill the fuck out, but, like, Brienne like, would have just had to tear him up. Yeah, I mean, like, Hal Hunt went there, he swung around his, like, high-class dick. Oh my god! And then they Stop. were like... I mean, that's literally what happened, and then they were like, you know what, we should give that man credit. That's, Maybe... That's what happened. I don't know. Maybe I just think people should get credit for when they accomplish things. And that other people shouldn't steal that credit for not accomplishing those things that they worked on. Sue me. Yeah. But also, I mean, that that man, he should have given given her the credit. A, a true knight would have, A, held the door open. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, would have, you know, a true knight. A true knight would have doffed his cap to my lady. I mean, a bunch of the other knights, as we saw. Like, these fucking surgeons would have been like... Let's we'll steal the eggs. Yeah. So. I'm just being petty. Whatever. It's fine. No, it is no, what you it is. should it's be. It's just another slight. No. It's just like another a... slight on her. Like, how many slights a day? <sighs> like, I don't know. It's bullshit. But what can Brienne do? So she just, we just have Brienne trotted after them with Podrick at her heels. A true knight, she thought, frowning. She's like... Fuck him. Fuck that guy. <laughs> and she doesn't say that. That's not what the book says. But we can tell. We can tell that's what she's thinking. The subtext. Once inside, Hyle makes fun of Podrick's horse, which is like, what the fuck, dude? Like, what the fuck? He's like a little kid. And he's like, oh, your horse is so ugly. Why isn't Brienne riding it? As she apparently is too, quote, unquote, hideous to him. And then he asks if she planned to thank him for his help. And she says, I don't know, maybe one day I'll thank you in a melee. And he's like, 
oh, the same way you thanked Red Ronnet? Yeah, I would like her to thank both of them again, repeatedly. <laughs> uh, yeah. We get, we get this description of Heil. He's a head shorter than her. Go off, short king, I guess. With a rich laugh, but a plain face. Once she had thought it was honest, but she learned better. Brown hair, hazel eyes, a scar by his ear, cleft chin, crooked nose. But again, she, she thinks, a good laugh. He explains he's stuck guarding the gate here in town, and that his cousin, Alan, is off hunting outlaws. He points her to the stables and asks her to give him, you know, her whole alibi about Renly's death. And as soon as she starts in, he's like, I knew it. It was totally Loris that killed the Rainbow Guard, not you. You're not strong enough to take down more than one or two, especially not Robar, he says. He then says that Robar was twice the swordsman, wait, swords wench, that she is. So, glossing over that Heil is very much Jamie Light, which is why I don't like him, because we already had Jamie Light at the front of her arc in his own chapters, where he did the whole, like, I'm half an asshole, but now I'm actually nice. Hoo-hoo, what is it? Hoo-hoo. Uh, that whole thing. Both of them tell her that she can't take that many men on at once, right? Like, that was something Jamie said to her, like, you're crazy, but you're not crazy enough to fight 20 good men, Brienne. And here he's like, you couldn't have taken on that many men. And I love that because it's what makes it so fucking exciting when she does take on a bunch of men at the end of her chapters. And she lives to tell the tale, albeit without half a face. But she lives to fucking tell the tale. No help from Heil. No help from Jamie. Thank you. She's like, watch me, bitch. I'm (sighs) trading half of my face for glory, motherfuckers. I mean, that's what the songs say she should do, right? I mean, and, and that's part of why she it. does it. Yeah. But you're yeah. right about the Jamie Light thing, because, like, mm, okay, you can call her a wench, but you're not the first, all right? And it's not as special from you when you call Mm-mm. her a wench, so... Mm-mm. Oh. Mm-mm. Anyways, he asks why she's here, and she almost blows her cover, and she's like, shit, he's a real person that knows my life. I can't just say it's my sister. He knows I don't uh, fucking have a sister. This so instead to she's us. like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Shit, we don't have uh, a sister. Oh no. Uh, God. Instead, she says she's looking for a man at the stinking goose. He says first she'll come with him to see Randall Tarly and then he'll help her get to the goose. Hyle tries to touch her arm and she wrenches away from him because, you know, don't fucking touch me. I get you, Brienne. Yeah. And off we go to go see Randall. Hooray. Sad trombone. Yeah. I'm not excited, but I, you know, regarding Heil Hunt, I don't know. He, like, seems so surprised, like, that him negging her makes her hate him. It's very, Mm -hmm. like, when do you (laughs) play shitty games, get shitty prizes, Heil Hunt? Like, what what do you think's gonna happen? It's what you motherfuckers taught her. Actually, no, literally, and we're going to get to that part soon. We pass the soldiers rebuilding the town, and Brienne's surprised to see so much growth in the besides desolate town. Yeah, uh, it seems that the industrial military complex was put to use here by Tarly. And, you know, at the, at the front here of the chapter, we kind of get these soldiers rebuilding the broken town. But I, I think there's something interesting when you contextualize it against the end of the chapter where you have Clarence Crabbe and his woods witch bringing 
the dead back hmm. to life uh, yeah. to work for them. And I don't know, between like Dorne in the chapter before where all the tensions are buzzing and vengeance is stirring to then Sam in the next chapter who's leaving the ice zombies and heading south. I think it's so well placed just to watch the structure of Westeros since you have these two separate places, right? Sam's heading toward the Citadel, right? And then you have Tarly in the middle of it, warring, playing war and reconstruction in the middle of war. That's a great connection between these two Tarleys, which, especially what you were saying about the zombies, because I, I think, you know, there's definitely a metaphor to be said there of the broken men and the zombies thing. So, yeah. Heil explains Tarly put the idle men to work, and he guides her to the busy harbor, to her surprise, where a few ships are in port, as well as fishing boats. She thinks, hmm, I guess I'll take passage on a ship if the stinking goose does nothing for me. Goldtown isn't that far, and then she can just climb the Erie. Lord Tarly is out there, cosplaying as Justice in the fish market yard, where a platform stands next to a long gallows. Enough for 20 good men. Jesus. That, that's actually what it says. <laughs> Four corpses are swaying below it, and then a crow comes along and just strips the flesh off one of the men, just like, pulls it off like string cheese, I assume. Randall and Lord Mooton share the platform. And then we have a fashion hour. Mooton is wearing a white doublet and red breeches, and his ermine coat is pinned at the shoulder by a red gold brooch in the shape of a salmon. I want that. I want a brooch in the shape of a salmon. Anyway. Writing it down. Hold on. Writing it down. <laughs> Christmas is coming salmon. up. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not often people say what they want to me, so... I'm just going <laughs> to write it down just in case. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, versus uh, Tarly's, Tarly's attire, which is very practical. It's male and boiled leather and gray steel, and Heartsbane is poking out from his shoulder. Unfortunately, not literally, because I would love that <laughs> I thought that for too. Me. I, I, when I read it, I was like, I wish. Uh, a very, like, Magor on the throne. So... Mm. Wild Tarly is very pra- oh well actually yeah Magor on the Wild Tarly is very practical. We have Mooton uh showing it out in his house colors, full decked out outfit. But again, this is for show because he was kept up in his little cell for the last few months and as we heard from the farm folk earlier, they said that no one had seen him in forever. Hmm. So here he is, looking fabulous for the people to let them know things are under control. Again, much like Edmir being pulled out to the to the gallows himself every day. Mm-hmm. Because course, nothing t- says in control, like pulling the same person out to the gallows every day. I know, and that is kind of what's going on here, but Tarly's yeah. not yeah. like... Tarly knows better and knows that looks like a sign of weakness, so instead, he's bringing him out to puppet him, which is brilliant, brilliant. And you know, that he's just like sitting at a desk, giving very casual directions, almost monotonously, right? Like in a very just like vague, just like cut off his finger, do this. This is a normal day. This is him doling out justice. This is doing paperwork for Randall, right? And listen, if you're doling out justice, like opioids at a doctor's office in the aughts, that's not justice, right? Like what Mm -hmm. are these people learning from this? What lesson are they learning 
What about the root cause of the crime? How do you stop that crime from happening again? Is there anything you as a government can do to stop this crime from happening? No, it's just cut the fucking fingers off. And look, maybe it's because it's a port town. And maybe it's because Tarly is married to a Florent. It may be because this other person doesn't have a son, which is good because he would have fucked that kid up. But this all really reminds me of Stannis, right? This is Uh probably what Stannis was doing when he was holed up at Dragonstone, as we know from him chopping off Davos' fingers, right? Uh, This is probably what he was up to. Sending people to get themselves washed out with lye, chopping off their fingers, eye for an eye, and... I mean, there's so much conversation we could have about Westeros broken, because if, you know, this is what lords are supposed to do, and none of them are doing this because of war, right? Things are too on fire, things are crazy, no one is sitting down and giving a shit about the small folk, but if this is what they consider hearing the small folk and listening to them and, like, working for them, and then killing them for the problems that they created for the small folk... Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and there is that connection, right? The ships that we see in the in the port, I'm pretty sure are Tycho Nestoris. It's a galley, hmm. a Galeus, and Cog. That's oh yeah, T nasty. That's T nasty. Oh so that's on his way yeah. north. Yeah. So wow. he's on his way to the north to Stannis, where he's going next, right? So uh, maybe Randall took a loan out. I mean, like we said, he's probably trying to seize this town through his son's marriage and since he's fucking broke maybe he took a loan out maybe that's some maybe he's financing Aegon yeah or even like to the wall right if if Brienne had gotten on that then she could have I guess crossed that off <sighs> and like not at the wall not with half brother <laughs> yeah man but that's a uh, absolutely I mean the whole the whole like thing is like very disturbing you're like this doesn't feel very just what's going on here and off-putting off-putting it is but the trotting out of mooton right and and trying to and making him look nice to act like everything's fine and very normal here it's kind of like what they do to theon at a maybe a similar time in the books uh right when mm-hmm. They have him taken out, right? And he looks very, very cleaned up for the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, here, wear these gloves. No one can tell that we chopped off all your fingers. Yep. Lucky. <sighs> Justice was served, though. Right? It was served. Allegedly. Well, as they approach, Charlie's getting ready to chastise a man who sold who stole leftovers from the Septons who ran away. And Tarly's like, usually I would just take a finger from a thief, but because you stole from the Sept, you stole from the gods, and you should have seven fingers taken. And he's like, leave that man's thumbs, just take from the other ones. And it's like, what the fuck? And Brienne's like watching, thinking of Jamie's scream when his fingers were taken. But by that we mean his hand, but also his fingers. And then next is a baker who's accused of mixing sawdust in his flour, which does kind of suck. Um, and he's fined 50 silver stags. For every stag that he was short, Tarly says, well, if you can't pay it, you can pay and getting whipped instead. What? Something that really cements... Um... The, the not fair quality to this going on, the non-justice qualities happening here, is the commentary on what a stag means to someone, 
right? Later with Nimble Dick, Brienne is constantly putting a stag down, like, all right, how about another stag for this information? And she's putting it down like it's nothing because she has the magic bag of coins, right, from Jamie. Yeah. Uh, but here, the man immediately is like, I don't have that kind of money because none of these people have that kind of money. And just thinking about, like, the root cause, why was he mixing sawdust in his flour? Was it to lengthen the use of the flour? Because he's broke? Mm-hmm. And now you're having him whipped in the square yeah. for all to see because he's broke? I, or like, I'm just saying. I, yeah, or like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like the guy, right? He stole leftovers from the Septons. Clearly that man is hungry, and the Septons didn't... They were they didn't dead. want it? Well, no, like, they, they, yeah, and, like, I mean, the Septons, remember, they were the ones who, like, tried to guilt Brienne, they're like, oh, why aren't you gonna protect us? And it's like, she's mm-hmm. like, I got other shit to do. Yeah, I mean, also, the religious people and folk, like, wouldn't have given a shit unless they were giving, you know, in cahoots with the government, which there's a separation of church and state for a little bit longer in this book, but just a little bit longer. Uh yeah yeah it's it's all like all of these problems are being caused by class disparity and also because you've burned down all the land out here from war so it's worse than usual and it's heightened and there's like there's no relief coming for these people how are they supposed to catch up when they've been behind for their whole lives how are they supposed to pay the bills that are just piling up that you just keep making out of thin air for fun while you go and eat? Like, they found that sawdust doesn't kill people. It just, you know, isn't good for you. They found that they can survive off a little sawdust in their flour and, like, you know, make extra money. Yeah. I mean, like, what would be better is rather than, like, first of all, we probably shouldn't be eating the sawdust, but, like... yeah. Yeah. They they should just give this man like it's like you don't have enough to survive. They should be giving these people like money to like if they want to revitalize their economy and also as you said, relief. There's like no food coming in. Like yeah, they're helping like maybe like rebuild buildings, but but also like why are you taking that money? And like it's not really helping. Like any relief or food that might be coming in, what? It's all being bought up by what? Lord Lord Tarley's like cook for yeah. himself. Like all those eggs, that's not getting redistributed to other people. That's for and a otherwise wedding. it's getting it's getting stolen by yeah. like his soldiers. So the stags that Baker did have, like, are going yeah. to Tarley. So where is that money going? Wait a second. Are you telling me that the government is taking my money and not giving it in the proper way that they say out loud they're going to give it to other people? This Westeros sounds like a fucking scam. I mean, it is. Um, But also (laughs) to what you were saying about like the the crimes being caused by class disparity, right? And he finds 50 silver stags. Um, There's like, I'm not getting this saying exactly right, but I've heard in a good saying it's like if like the penalty for a crime is a fine then that means it's only a crime for the lower classes mm-hmm. yeah it's from um it's uh it's interesting because like 
they, I think in economics, the idea is like a fine is a price, and it, it yes. is logical. Yes, like, that, that. like rich people, for them, it doesn't matter. That's a drop in the bucket. Like somewhere that you're going to be fined one hundred twenty five dollars for parking, they're like, it's not a fine. That's like the parking fee. Yeah, yeah. Well, next up in the punishment is a sex worker. Uh, accused of giving pox to four of Tarly's soldiers. She's punished with having her privates washed out with lye and thrown into a dungeon, dragged away sobbing. Tarly stares at Podrick and Hyle and even sees Brienne, but he doesn't really give any recognition to them. He follows up with the next one. An archer from Mouton's garrison and a sailor off the Galleus come forward. The archer says the sailor stabbed his hand with a dagger, accusing him of cheating at dice. Tarly says that for theft he takes a finger. If he lies, he'll be hanged. And then he says, show me your dice. And the man is like, uh, they're just lucky is all for me. Which is, you know, keyword for I was cheating. Tarly charges him with losing a finger. The sailor is charged with having a nail through their palm. And then announces they're done. He's done justicing for the day. And he'll be returning the rest of the people to the dungeon. He really is a peach. You know, that <sighs> Randall. He's a piece of fucking work. He's, um... He is. That's... That's just hard. It's hard shit. The, the nail through the hand is hard for me to think about. And it's just like... It's like you said. That That's a great way to sum it up with the fine as a price. And kind of interesting that, like, Tywin, Tarly kind of subscribes to the Code of Hammurabi. You know, eye for an eye, the commandment in Exodus, not dissimilar from the Roman law of retaliation. Uh, exact reprocity, basically. But Gandhi was known to have a response on that saying that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, would leave the whole world blind and toothless. And it's hard because you see Brienne dueling with these two parts of herself, the two wolves within her, of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, leaves the world blind and toothless. But also mm -hmm. the world isn't fucking fair. And like both of these things are just converging throughout this entire chapter, let alone her whole arc. And it's so hard for her to uphold the the purer statement, right? That that leaves the whole world blind and toothless and not bend and not break. Yeah. And I mean like that this person, like who, as we know, was horrible to Sam, mm -hmm. super terrible to him, like gets to decide oh yeah this is what good means this is the moral code and justice that we should be following like what but also i i'm not sure because it also comes up again in a few sentences is that like a little kind of nod right the whole like oh he'll lose a little finger and mm. i'm like yes yes little finger it's a clue it's a clue that's it uh, as much as I hate Tarly, like, a lot of the stuff he says feels true in this chapter in some aspects, just, like, delivered with the hardest, most grating annoyance of him delivering it. It's interesting. Oh, I was just saying it's a clue regarding, like, where Sansa is. Oh, well, those are all throughout, yes, the chapter. The yeah, theory. but I'm like, I mean, oh, they, they say Littlefinger here, then they say Littlefinger there later on, and I'm like, put it together, Brienne. But how could she's she? She's real close. How could how she? How could yeah. she? Yeah. He hit his tracks very well. Cat was stewing in her grief. I mean, how would she have known? <sighs> yeah. And I mean, like, that's the whole thing, right? Because Littlefinger's a gambler. 
He's a gambler, and then the little finger. Dice. It's all, oh, it's all coming together, Bria. And, and the how, lucky dice. Uh, the, yeah, it, the gambler with the dice. Wow. Damn. Mm. Damn. Alas, Charlie beckons their group forward, and Brienne feels like she's eight years old again. And he asks her why she's come. She hesitates and stumbles over who she was sent to look for, and Charlie asks, well, like, how do you plan to find him if she doesn't know his name? And then finally she's like, well, he doesn't let her answer, and then asks if it's true, if she's a Kingslayer, and she says no. He considers this, looking at her instead, and instead says, alright, well, you just let him die. And she's like, well, it was sorcery, sir. She doesn't say it like that. I say it like that. And she's like, and she would never. I'm sorry, but I just have to know, why is Brienne Kenneth Parcell suddenly from 30 Rock? Oh my god. Yeah. That's who she, she sounds like when you say that. I oh, would sorry, never, my sir. Bad. My bad. Why I are you Kenneth Parcell, Eliana? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Everything makes so much sense now. <laughs> Interesting. Charlie takes that as his moment to then start in on her, saying that he should ship her back to Tarth and that she had no right to don mail and sword. But Brienne has something more powerful than a dick, and more powerful than control of Maidenpool. I guess. She has the king's favor. Podrick pulls out her little parchment, and Tarly's like, what sort of business do you have with the king? She answers Sansa Stark, and Tarly's like, well, you're wasting your fucking time. She's not here. She's probably in the north with a bannerman. Brienne, who is close, like we said, proposes the veil instead to Aunt Liza. And Tarly's like, eh, a singer murdered her, so probably not. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. He says, Littlefinger holds the eerie now, though not for long. The lords of the Vale are not the sort to bend their knees to some upjump jackanapes, whose only skill is counting coppers. Again, not wrong. He sucks, but he's not wrong. He has yeah. a decent business sense about the world and what's going on here. I hate when people I hate are right. <laughs> the worst person in the world just made I know. a valid point. <sighs> well... Randall Charlie tells her to do what she wants and must, but when she ends up raped, he's like, don't look for justice from him, and that he, she would have earned it with her folly, and again, like, I, I don't know, I'm just like, Randall Charlie sucks and nothing's gonna change my mind about it. Like, I feel George is trying to show me, like, these parts where the town is getting rebuilt and it's lively, and it's like, wow, it's all thanks to his efforts, and like, oh my god, he was right about this, and like, people now feel safe coming here, and those farmers love what he's done, and George is like, he's a great character, and there are redeemable parts about him, and I'm like, no, he sucks, and I hate him. I don't know, I don't really think that George is trying to make him a great character, though. Okay. I well, mean, good because it's not working on me. <laughs> well, I just, I, I just mean like, why would you have the guy shout he wants to wash out a woman's privates with lie? Yeah. Where, where's the gray in the? And I mean, like, literally watching, he has the idle soldiers working to rebuild the town, which is great. But then it's showing that the actual people who live in the town are suffering under him. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's gray if you have bad opinions, <laughs> but. I would say he's rich. <laughs> mm, that's also true. Which is a better label than than the others. It's that he's rich and that he fights, and they're like, we love that he fights. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, that's actually, like, sidebarring again. Like, I was thinking that Maidenpool is just full of Trumpies 
like the whole oh, time. Because yeah. the oh, ox yeah. people, the guy, the guy, the ox cart guy. Like I'm like, oh, yeah. so he's an always Trumper. Interesting. Um, but that is what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the politics here and Randall. Like I just don't think he's a great character personally. I don't know. He put his son in chains because he wasn't masculine and strong and prideful enough and living up to his image and like hanged him on a wall for a very long period of time i don't know i just don't find that gray aliana maybe you find it gray maybe that says something about you and not me i don't i don't but i think george wants me to think it is and that's the thing you know this is between you and god rr martin aliana (laughs) god rr martin that's god it is it is. Well, Randall scolds Hyle for leaving his gate and then leaves. And then we just are left with this line of Brienne stood beneath the gallows, the precious parchment in her hand. I love that line. I think it echoes the very end, right? When she meets Stoneheart so well, just standing beneath the gallows, the precious parchment in her hand, like her precious sword. Mm-hmm. You know, her precious sword for the precious Kingslayer. This is like her in the middle of the gallows. Where do you go from here? It's basically her whole plot. Good foreshadowing well, for later. I don't know where we go from here because I don't have the next book. Anyway. Look under your chair. <laughs> uh, the crowd's reduced, but the crows had returned. Oh, that's another thought I have. Also, you have a fucking gallows that can seat 20 at a mm. time, and you're only using four of it? That's shitty use of space. Right? Anyways, like, that's obviously showing that you're cruel. Why are you hanging 20 people at a time? Why do you need industrial hanging? Yeah. What the fuck? Anyways. I guess he, he just hangs four and uses the threat of the other 16, I guess, to he, scare everyone into to obeying. He just likes hanging out, that Randall Tarly. Uh... Sure uh, so the crows have returned, although the crowds have reduced. And for a moment, Brienne ponders if the crows dined on Liza, too. Likely, she was out there for a little bit. Hyle tries yeah, to tag or along. Or the vultures. Oh, the eagles. The eagles. That's, so the errands. I'm just kidding. Um, mm-hmm. So all of the people in the veil. <laughs> uh, Hyle tries to tag along to the stinking goose. And she's like, no. And he's like, fine. If that's your wish. And then he starts to say, Hey, we never meant real harm, you know. It was only a game. Most of them died anyway. Ben died on the Blackwater. Pharaoh, Will the Stork, Mark Mullendore lost an arm. Brienne wants to say, Good, he deserved it. Good for her. But she remembers yeah, Mullendore. I know. This is hard, though, because she has this memory of Mullendore and his little monkey in a suit of little chainmail making faces at each other outside a pavilion. And Catelyn had called them the Knights of Summer. She remembers that. But now it's autumn and they're falling like leaves. I don't know. I feel like remembering a guy with a monkey wouldn't like make me think, oh, that was so good of him. <laughs> but maybe I'm just like mean. Or maybe I just haven't, I haven't been through what Brienne's gone through, you know, not in that way. So um, I will say that in terms of what we were talking about of... Returning to the past, Brienne seems to no longer hold the same views that she did when Catelyn first met her, right? Like, she was all like, we're not Knights of Summer. Well, you could tell that Brienne was included in that idea of Knights of Summer, but it looks like now she's kind of growing to agree 
with the Catelyn that said all that. But as we know, Catelyn uh, has definitely moved on from those views since then. <laughs> she's got a very different philosophy now. Uh, yeah, she's definitely moved on from being humane in any way, yeah. shape, or form. And yes. there is something in humanity and like, Brienne is extending in some aspects a little empathy to these men of that mm-hmm. they have now gone through war and they have been forged in the fire of the rage of war and you know that's unfair to human beings in general like war and putting yeah, someone through that true. no matter how that's not a fair thing like that's yeah so like understanding that but like at the same time it's also doesn't excuse their behavior beforehand, blah, blah, blah. But she's finding the empathy and the sympathy to them that now maybe, like, they're changed. You know, maybe Mark Mullendor is changed. And that that little bit of humanity was there. Like, she could see that between Mark Mullendor and his monkey. I don't know why she couldn't choose to see that between Mark Mullendor and any other human, but she saw some great bond, like a His Dark Materials <laughs> demon bond. Like, a real human yeah. would have been a great bond Yeah, it to sounds see. like that. Yeah. I'm glad he could treat a monkey nice, but can he treat a human nice? Anyways. I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. But She is. She's doing what Sansa did at Blackwater. You know, she's praying. She's out here yeah. praying for everyone else. She's like, all right, you suck. Hope you die. But if not, you know, may the father aid your fucking arm. Yeah. She's uh, holding on to that hope. Yeah. But she hopes to not have to see Hyle anymore because she turns her back on him as she and Pod begin to leave on their journey. Hyle gives them advice on which way to head and off they fuck. You can tell that Chloe wrote that line. Um, Pod asks if she knew where the goose was and Pod says that Hyle offered to show them and then Podrick obviously notices that Brienne is upset. Aww. Um, it asks, so what did he do? do to you and Brienne tells him that at Highgarden when Renly first called his banners the boys played a cruel hurtful and unchivalrous game on her Sir Hyle was one of them she doesn't go on and instead goes to check the gate and the buildings to find the stinking goose it takes her almost an hour or two and they find the cellar first and it's low enough that Brienne ends up banging her head on it I've heard a lot of discourse before in my time on the internet Oh god, it's been so long. Oh god. Uh, A lot of discourse about how the game isn't really a big deal. The game these boys played to get her maidenhead that we're going to talk about. And kind of shoving it off like, ah, boys just being boys in war. This was like a year and a half, two years ago. Tops. This is when Renly first called his banners at the start there and end the clash slash game precipice so this isn't like a game they were playing as children most of these men are the men they're gonna be forever right like they probably aren't gonna change that much except for maybe like get ptsd brienne was like 18 a young woman and these dudes are mostly her age grown around her age group and like you know they just uh i don't know it's not really it just doesn't feel like a young, fun game when it's like, it was just two years ago. The sting of it's pretty hot. I agree. It's it's They're old enough to have known that this was a cruel thing to do and to have that sort of empathy and to, to not 
do that to her, but I guess it's also like, I don't know if these are all the kind of people willing to what? Just randomly assault women, I guess. They're like, whatever, we'll do it to Brienne. Um, yeah. And they're not willing to like hurt her yet, right? Because she is highborn. But I regarding, I, I will just say like regarding this is who they're going to be forever, which is not what the book is about. You know, again, I'm not the same person that I was at 18 so there's that but yeah but most of them have died so i'm serious when i say this is the way yeah, they're gonna no, be forever for real <laughs> that that is true that is who they're gonna be forever i'm just saying like if they lived they could have gotten better but obviously this was very shitty and terrible of them but thank you i accept your apology for brienne <laughs> you, I mean, like you I never send all further apologies to my. Email. I'm just saying no, that. I'm, I'm just saying if we're always like I'm a different person. I'm like they could be different people one day I if they know. lived. But they're not reading these books, you know. They're reading. Like, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I don't they're know. Not, maybe I don't think they're. I don't think they're reading. They're not reading. No, they're fucking murdering other people for yeah, money and you know life and yeah. survival or whatever and glory. So. I don't know. They're I just find boys. it interesting. I just find it interesting that this wasn't that long ago. Yeah. It's hmm. like literally, I mean, we were probably like there. When... Yeah. It was within the, in the time, it was within the time frame of the story. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, there are no stinking geese in this bar, but there there is some smell coming from it. Few stools, a bench. Uh, the tables are old wine casks, but there's definitely a stink, like a, a dampness, a mildew, mm-hmm. a little bit like poop, a little bit like wine, and even a little bit mm. like death. There's death in the air, and mm. only three men are drinking. Tyroshi seamen with green and purple beards. Ah, I do think mm. that we might have seen one of these guys in the Davos Two chapter. When he mm. has the Galeas and Cogs, it's the same people oh. over at White on the way to White Harbor. Interesting. Yeah. After taking a That's look fun. at the place, it is kind of fun. Go, George. Uh, Brienne knows that she can't have water at this place. She's like, oh, can't drink the water here. And she orders wine. And she starts to ask after Nimble Dick. The innkeep says he comes in every night. And if she's going to kill him, please do it elsewhere. They don't want <laughs> Tarly's wrath. Brienne's like, I just want to talk to him. And she offers a copper star to the woman if she'll nod when he enters. Um, I, I do find it interesting that Brienne notes the appearance of the proprietor, you know, the, the innkeep, right? That she's a bald woman who, and she describes her as looking like uncooked dough. Um, and I, I find that in and of itself, right? The the appearance of this woman is very much in defiance of what Westeros says women should look like, but that Brienne doesn't really dwell on this or give it much note because, I mean, we know Brienne wouldn't ridicule or judge this woman based on her appearance because, I mean, she's not like that, but also Brienne doesn't really seem to think about it in terms of like, wow, interesting that she doesn't care what she looks like or like doesn't project any sympathy on her on the innkeep based on her own experiences of how people have treated her appearance. Um, because, I mean, Brienne herself, when people, like, she not- notices every slight and giggle and, like, really amplifies and takes that because becomes very socially anxious and spirals about it. But that she doesn't think of this woman's appearance, doesn't remark upon it, slash normalizes it. I, I just think it's interesting that she doesn't note her own lack of reaction 
I I think it's interesting that she doesn't uh, also, like, she doesn't comment, like you said, on these kind of things. Like, she just sees it, and she doesn't ever make any snide comments or remarks on it. Where, you know, like, when Catelyn first met her, she immediately was like, oh, girl, you're freakish. Okay. You poor thing. Wow, this is sad. Yeah. And, you know, Brienne thinks on her, like, oh, she was so kind to me. Uh, Brienne doesn't ever remark on other people, though, either. Like, so she keeps yeah. it in her head, if so. Even she doesn't show us. Well, even, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking because I'm like, maybe if she could realize, like, oh, I don't think that way about this woman. Maybe she would. And I get that. I get amplifying every time someone, like, laughs at you and, like, that making you feel small. But I'm also, like, mm-hmm. if only she could realize that there are a bunch of other people who are like, oh, interesting. And, like, accept it, Maybe. I mean, maybe. I don't know if that actually exists because she doesn't note it. But maybe. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Maybe Good everyone does we'll suck. Never know. Well, yeah. that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know what sucks? This wine. Oh my god. Yeah. This wine that she gets. Brienne gets a wine and it turns out it's not the good stuff she hears from some other patrons <laughs> later. Uh, there's a hair in it. It's oily. And so she, she instead tries to savor the taste of wondering what the fuck to do about Sansa Stark. And she's like, is she in the Vale? In Winterfell? In the East? And she's like, God, I hope she's not overseas. That would make my journey a lot harder. She also thinks she would look like more of a freak there, uh, that they'd laugh at her like they did in Highgarden. She thinks about Renly, and he had been very courteous, but his lords and knights were different. She had expected hostility and mockery, but that was not something that left her confused. What confused her of Renly's lords and knights were the kindness that she did get from them. Big Ben Bushy sent his squire to clean her mail, gifting her a silver drinking horn. Edmund Ambrose brought flowers and asked her to ride with him. Hyle Hunt outdid them both, gifting her a beautiful, illuminating book of tales of chivalry, apples and carrots for her horses, a silk plume for her helm. He'd gossip with her, telling her clever things from camp and even train with her. Because of his behavior, she thought the others would follow suit and that that's why they were treating her this way. <sighs> Giving someone gifts yeah. with false intentions is shitty. I'm just saying. Yeah. Do- doesn't make it yeah. better that you had a good gift, you know, like, shitty. I agree. It's it's super shitty, and then that it, like, spirals out, as we see, and, like, that he that he went in on it so much, only to hurt her, but I wonder if there's something the there about, like, you know, they do. I kind of wonder also if there's something else there of, like, he gives her the, you know, the tales of chivalry, and then it all turns out to, like, be a lie, but the songs, the songs of the tales of chivalry, those are also a lie. Everything's a lie. <laughs> Everything's a lie. Uh, Everything is bad for Brienne right now. We do get to learn everything else that happened, right? Like she had men basically fighting to be next to her and serve her. We had Richard Farrow play her love songs on his lute. Hugh Beesbury brought her a pot of honey as sweet as the maid of Tarth. Mark Mullendore made her laugh with his monkey. From uh, His monkey, of course, is a cute little black and white creature from the Summer Isles. A hedge knight called Will the Stork, what the fuck, offered to rub the knots from her shoulders. She refused him. She refused them all. When Sir Owen Inchfield seized her one night and pressed a kiss upon her, she knocked him ass backwards into a cook fire. 
Good for her. There's an Inchfield in Duncan yeah. Egg, and he's a dick, too. I can't remember his name, but he's a dick. Great call, George. Hmm. After this, Brienne looked at herself. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? Like, these are all... I mean, this is exactly how people treated Dunk at the pavilions at the tourney, hmm. right? Just without the sexual connotations. Brienne has exactly that pressed yeah. upon her. Like, the life of a hedge knight, but also as a woman. Yeah, exactly. Well, later that night after Brienne looks at herself in a glass, thinking that her face is broad and ugly, freckled, big-lipped, all she wanted to do when she came here was, like, join Renly and serve. And she also is like, I don't understand why this is happening, because I'm not the only woman here. There are camp followers who are, like, way prettier, and the highborn maids and the ladies are also here, and they dance to the music each night. We have a line. Why are you being kind to me? She wanted to scream every time some strange knight paid her a compliment. What do you want? Such a mood. What do you want? <laughs> um, it's really sad because it just makes me think about what Loris had just told Jamie recently, right? He said to her, Renly thought she was absurd. A woman dressed in man's mail pretending to be a knight? Yeah. Hmm. Poor Brienne. It's better that she doesn't know that. Yeah. I hope she never finds out. Me either, but she probably will somehow. Who knows? She might not. She might um, not. We talked about Brienne in comparison to Tyrion earlier, uh, but I want to bring up a different Lannister to compare Brienne to, especially in regards to this ridicule. It's Tywin. Hmm. A twist. It is Tywin. Um, because I it's feel like a lot of the backstory and characterization we get of Tywin, right? It's about his pride because he was like so humiliated about like his father's weakness, which I'm like, oh, that's kind of like Selwyn because he had a lot of women too. I don't know, maybe uh, unsure. But also like so much of Tywin's story is like, oh, he hated that people laughed at him. Everyone laughed at him and his family. So like, I guess it's interesting that Tywin reacts to it by basically just trying to spite everyone who ever laughed at him and becoming like super violent whereas for Brienne when people laugh at her she just really internalizes it and she assumes that she is the problem and just tries to be better than anyone else anyway and just lives by her own like code that is like a good code as far as I can tell that that's a great way to like obviously the internalization of the pride and like also not being able to fulfill like, for Tywin, he's trying to cover up that legacy of misdeeds from his father, right? And uh, of failure and not failing. And for Brienne, it's like the total yeah. opposite. She's like, I'm failing and I must cover it up for my legacy of my yeah. family. And she's like, I don't really know how to cover it up. I'm going to just try to be a really good knight. And it's like, wait, but this is what everyone is laughing at. So, I don't know. It sucks for her. Yeah. Well... Randall Tarley had ended the game. He ended the entire game. Dickon actually had overheard the truth that Ambrose, Bushy, and Hunt all had a competition. A golden dragon buy-in, whoever took her maidenhead got the lot. It was only a matter of time before someone took the prize by force. Brienne had been stunned. All of them were anointed knights and Tarley's men. And he put the blame on her, despite her protests of doing nothing to encourage them. 
Tarly said that her being here encouraged them, and if a woman behaves like a camp follower, she can't object to being treated like one. Dear listeners at home, Brienne behaved exactly unlike a camp follower. Very true. Brienne behaved like a knight. It's just, I don't know. Randall, she was asking for it, Tarly. I fucking would hit him with my car. Uh, I think that's fine. I mean, I don't think I could really do much damage unless I was really going, you know? That thing's yeah. small. He's got armor. I think you could I think you could break the armor. <laughs> like some Randall's a he's a total dick because then yeah. to to ice this cake, he told her to abandon her knighthood, go home to her father and allow him to find her a good husband, and he says the gods made men to fight and women to bear children. A woman's war is in the birthing bed. Mmm. Hmm. This line really stood out to me because we've heard a similar conversation, including Brienne, with this before. Uh, And there's an irony to that because when Brienne talks about that topic from this, like, really horrible man who refuses to accept that Brienne is refusing to bend to these gender roles uh, because, I mean, the other person that we saw her talk about this with was Catelyn. And, I mean, just to give you all a refresher, we might have, I don't remember if we did this during Catelyn 6 in The Clash of Kings, but we're going to do it for you all again, of fighting is better than this waiting. You don't feel so helpless when you fight. You have a sword and a horse, sometimes an axe. When you're armored, it's hard for anyone to hurt you. Knights die in battle. Brienne looked at her with those blue and beautiful eyes. As ladies die in childbed. No one sings songs about them. (laughs) Children are a battle of a different sort. A battle without banners or war horns, but no less fierce. Carrying a child, bringing it into the world, your mother will have told you of the pain. I never knew my mother. My father had ladies. A different lady every year, but... Those were no ladies. As hard as birth can be, Brienne. What comes after is even harder. At times I feel as though I'm being torn apart. Would that there were five of me, one for each child, so I might keep them all safe. I feel like I was a battle. You still are. (laughs) I'm very sure. I'm very sure my mother would agree. (laughs) (laughs) I think she would. (laughs) We'd get along, she and I. Maybe, probably. Probably. So so in this passage, Brienne trots out that comparison again, right, of the women's battles being the birthing bed, which is what Randall tells her here before Brienne met Kat. She kind of has her own take on it since then. She's, like, thought about it. She's had time to think about it, I'm sure. She's decided that neither's really, I guess, better than the other, except for the part where you can actually do things if you're in battle, but she realizes that there is an inequality, despite the two being equated with one another and that only one of these kinds of battles is valorized by society and the other goes forgotten and ignored even though so many women die and though at the time of her discussion with Kat she prefers the version right that ends in song again she was a knight of summer at the time and now she's not she's going from one season to the next of her life and the stories and her feelings right about her own role and gender they become much more complex just like her own views of knighthood and motherhood then you have that line where Kat says like I I, I never really thought about Selwyn's uh, womanizing I guess until this chapter but Catelyn says of the women that Selwyn no ladies. Says that they're, 
Yeah, she says that they're not really ladies, and I feel like that takes on a really different tone in the context of this, of Brienne's chapters, and it's reminiscent to the idea of like when it reminds me of Sansa telling Sandor that Gregor was no true knight, right? And I think it's all more complex question than that, though, because of like, you know, it's a question of what does it mean to be a lady? Mm -hmm. What sort of codes has, does a lady have to live by to be accepted as one versus the codes of chivalry and knighthood and how that is mm -hmm. part of Brienne's story? There's something going on, too, where that... You have someone like Cersei who did everything and more that was asked of her right as a lady. Like, speaking of that code and where that fits in, mm. Cersei uh, exerted herself. And when you brought up Tywin earlier, it made me think of Selwyn and thinking of Selwyn against Tywin and that, you know, Selwyn lost all his children except for his daughter Brienne. So, if Cersei was the only one left, right? Like, those hmm. duties would have changed uh, kind of like how Catelyn was seen as the heir for so long. And Selwyn obviously doesn't have quite the pride, but there is something in Joanna, right, in Tywin, and Tywin not being the same since Joanna died, and that Selwyn is seeking a different lady every year, you know, a different woman coming around every year. And that, like, back to the Cersei train here, always back to the Cersei train, that... Also, frowning down at those ladies isn't okay, in my opinion, either, or the not a ladies, uh, because, you know, they're also trying to fulfill their duty to their own homes, wherever yeah. they come from, whether it's a noble house, whether they're, you know, a, a lesser house, whether they're not housed, uh, they're trying to fulfill their duties by, you know, cashing in. And seeing if this romance could work and if they could have a domestic partnership that would work out. Uh, and, yeah. and I don't know. So there's something of like Selwyn's grief at losing Brienne's mom. I'm sure that's in there, although we don't get it. Uh, and I wonder if we will. Hmm. I hope we get a little more of that, especially because like we have Brienne, who's just like runaway night girl, you know, uh, skirting her own duty in that manner that she was never going to fulfill for her father. That's not her, obviously. So I, I think there's just yeah. some interesting, like, some interesting shades of what it means to fulfill that code for a lady. And like we said earlier, Brienne's never fit into that peg. She's never fit into that star-shaped hole in the box, you know? Yeah. And maybe she never fit into that peg, but she could peg. And she, she would. She's gonna. She would peg. She's gonna be great at it. Um, I can't wait and... till she pegs Jamie because <laughs> of all the characters that love getting pegged in A Song of Ice and yeah. Fire, Jamie's up there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's like not a question. Um, I know. And... That's why I declared it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just fact. It's canon. It's canon. Um, but yeah, uh, you were saying something about like Selwyn and, and the ladies, right? And and. The demeaning. I guess it's. I mean, it's it's interesting because like the way Catelyn says it, I understand that the literal meaning is like yeah, class wise they're not ladies, right? Because I guess ladies are you know capital L ladies, but the way she says it makes it sound like, and and I do think that's intentional that they're not real people, 
You know, no real mm-hmm. person involved to talk about succession a little bit. Oh, good. We it, it's very should. it's like that. Yeah. We've even slipping that in yeah. every now and then now. Well, and that's the thing, like they aren't even to her, she's like, Oh, those aren't suitors. Those aren't ladies that are actually respecting yeah. themselves. Those are just chicks your dad is fucking. Like that's yeah. straight up what that means. Just rando chicks your dad is fucking. But like we don't even know that. Yeah. They're not even, she doesn't even see them as like living by the codes of, I guess, womanhood or whatever, but, um, or what probably. And how do you know it's them and not Selwyn is what I'm saying. I agree. Like, what are the chances that a random woman every year for as long as Brienne can remember it has an issue with him? Yeah. It's very, uh, you know, all too well (laughs) to to bring up. I I was just bringing up the song. I know. It's very much like that song, All Too Well. That's very... Wow. Yeah. We're very very hip on pop culture here. Um, Wow. This is House Tarth's red moment. Oh my god. It's their red era. Uh, um, I also briefly wanted to say, you know, Catelyn's since I'm talking about Catelyn, we got Randall here. Speaking of people who are being weird about justice, Catelyn's justice. Pretty weird right now. Lady Stonehearts, I mean. Sorry, my bad. She's not a real lady. <laughs> she, she She's not a real name? lady. What, of what? Of what? What keep? Anyway, Death. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Brienne shakes it off. Shakes herself out of it. See, I, get, I made another Taylor joke. Um, when someone comes down the cellar septs and then keep nods at Brienne. It's him! Brienne offers to buy Nimble Dick his wine and he accepts. She asks him about fooling a fool and he asks, who wants to know? And she puts down a silver stag with Robert's head on it and says, King Robert. I love this because while she's referring to the coin having King Robert on it, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. And especially with some of the talk earlier that they were like, should we kill her because she killed King Renly? And they're like, no, he's not King anymore. Here she is putting down an ex-King, King Robert. And Mm. she's slowly becoming considered an outlaw, as we've talked about, despite her King's Elder Scroll, whatever. And the Brotherhood Without Banners have kind of a similar end goal as Brienne in some aspects, right? A little twisted outlaw knight situation going on there. And it's just like when Arya meets them and they call themselves Kingsmen, Robert, right? And here she goes, King Robert's asking. So even though her scroll is signed by a Lannister puppet, she too is sharing the same goal as the Brotherhood and still subscribing to King Robert. Yeah, it is. It is, especially because some people thought Renly was Robert come again, which... Mm-hmm. Yes and no, as we've discussed, but and and I like what you're saying about it inching towards that outlaw moment. I I will say I was just like I was kind of proud of Brienne in this moment when she says King Robert. I was like, ooh, very smooth, very well done, Brienne. Uh, she's not she's not the best PI, but she's got some like good <laughs> PI lines. She's like King Robert wants to know. Oh, good for her. She's getting a little confidence. Uh, she's getting a little yeah. Goof. Don't get too a, cocky, kid. <laughs> that, that noir talk, you know. Mm. And then She's a been watching some in. films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he so Nimble Dick tells her that fool had two girls with him, and the man looked afraid. And then Dick sings it in between all this with that "Hey, Nani, Hey, Nani, Ho." I 
didn't realize at first, but I'm pretty sure this is false in the fair, right? That uh, Marillion is singing when Liza is dangling Sansa hmm. out of the the moon door. And uh, yeah, cool. so the song, we, we don't get lyrics besides Hey Nani, Hey Nani Ho. Like that's the only thing we hear. So it's funny he's using that as like a little interlude. And the song is probably inspired by the song of Balthazar in Much Ado About Nothing. Sigh no more, ladies, sigh no more. Men were deceivers ever. One foot in sea and one on shore to one thing constant never. Then sigh not so, but let them go and be you blithe and bonny, converting all your sounds of woe into hey nani, nani. So the false and the fair is literally kind of Brienne's entire arc with that in mind. Right, we hear it here from Nimble Dick, who she's unable to trust after being reminded constantly of the cruel, horrible game played on her when she was just out here trying to be a true knight. Her whole entire plot has kind of just been discerning who's false and who's fair, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Who's being righteous, and I, I can't believe it, but Nimble Dick is just taking Brienne on a stinking goose chase, Eliana. Yep, you sent this to me. I was like, wow, amazing, amazing, brilliant. Stinking wild goose chase. <sighs> is he uh, false or is he fair? I mean, I think he's fair. I think he's false, that nimble dick. He He's a great character, I guess. What he George did great. with nimble dick, I love. I yeah. want more of that. More nimble dick. Less high Less upon. Randall Tarly. Oh, yeah, also that... I mean, at least, like, Randall Tarly's fun to hate. That's true. Heil Hunt. Yeah, he's just kind of annoying. Hey, Nani, you know, I- Heil first, Hunt like... is a great, a great character, so. Yeah. No, he is a great character, you're right. For Hey, Nani, Hey, Nani, Hey, Nani Ho, I was like, isn't it kind of weird that, like, Nimble Dick just, like, sings in what he's saying that I remembered? We do that. And so I was like, hmm. You know, Gotta it kind of reminds Gotta take a long, hard look me... in the mirror. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's very Dave Matthews band, right? Like if it's like Ugh. hey nani, hey nani in the middle of conversation out of nowhere, he's just like, ah, nimble dick is nimble dick's gonna show you how to get there though. Nimble dick's gonna take you, hey nani. Oh my god. I, don't know. I think I was it's thinking like of Dave it as Matthews like band. Which would make no sense in this context. I was thinking of it as like someone saying it like they're into sports or baseball, like hey nani, hey nani, hey nani ho. Oh, and I'm like, that or like even yeah, like sports announcer or even auctioneer, you know? Oh yeah, hey, hey nani, hey nani, honey. Yeah, going for one, going yeah. for one. Yeah. Nope, I think it's Shakespeare actually, but good idea. I think so Diana. too, but I don't know what that. <laughs> I don't know what that tune sounds like. Probably someone's probably put it to music somewhere. Yeah, it's somewhere on YouTube. I'm sure. Look, check it out on Shakespeare Sunday out there on the internet. Hmm. Well, Nimble Dick says the man was looking to exit Maidenpool without being taken by Tarly's men, and so he offered him help. Brienne pays him for more, putting another stag on the barrel. And speaking of auctioning, you know, the price just keeps going up for this. And he explains that he knows a smuggler's cove, but there had been no ships in 30 years, and asks for mm, another stag to go on, and explains, oh, how he fooled the fool. He sent them somewhere a stag may never find, though a dragon could, and then Brienne's like, ah, oh, and forks over some gold. Too bad I didn't get a dragon to come here and eat your ass, nimble dick. God. <laughs> she, I'm uh, sure she feels that way. Yeah, she's probably really annoyed. It's funny as hell. 
He says he put them in Cracklaw Point, a wild land of hills and bogs where he had been born. Nibble Dick says he has the noble blood of Clarence Crab himself within him. Clarence was eight feet tall, could uproot trees with one hand and chuck them a mile. This seems kind of like an exaggeration, but you know, Clarence Crab does have a similar ring to it, right? Just like Dunk mm. the Lunk. Clarence mm. Crab, Dunk the Lunk. I don't know, eight yes. feet tall, right? Uprooting trees. Uh, so, I mean, a couple other connections. Dunk marrying Egg. I mean, Dunk being best friends with Egg, and Egg is very witchy <laughs> himself with Summerhall. Uh, and, mm. but, but also, you have another one of Dunk's kind of relatives, the Mountain, right? With Kyburn as a woods witch, <laughs> bringing him back. But his head does kind of become a pretty big point of contention in the plot, He's a talking mm-hmm. head that comes back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I didn't realize, like, I never thought about that. You're right, Clarence Crab. Something's going on there with Brienne's yeah. story and, and the dunk stuff. Well, and, and even back to, you know, the, what should I call it? What's the short story? Sons of the Dragon. Uh, mm. Magor. It reminds me of Tyanna in the tower bringing Magor back to life with Visanya watching. Uh. Uh, and yeah, yeah and, interesting. And his his wife was a woods witch, and whenever he would kill a man, his wife would kiss the head and bring it back to life. Uh, which again, cat Catalan reminders are everywhere here. So much Catalan reminder going on. Uh, yeah, and here we get yep. lords, wizards, famous knights, pirates. One was even the king of Duskendale. They all would give him counsel. They can't talk too loud, but they never shut up either, he said. Interesting. They can't talk too loud. So Crab's Keep got named The Whispers. Still is, though. It's been a ruin for a thousand years. A lonely place, The Whispers. Yeah, it does sound lonely. It sounds, like, very creepy and... I don't know. I just get this like image when they're describing, oh, Clarence Crab coming home, bringing like a head back for his wife, and then like being like, "Honey, we're gonna bring this one back to life," or whatever. It just reminds me of Miracle Max and Valerie from like The Princess Bride. <laughs> That's how I imagine their dynamic and how they act to one another. Oh my god! <laughs> Give me Billy Crystal now for Clarence Crab. <laughs> yes. Some oh platforms. Yes. Some platforms will be needed. But I'm out here like I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. Uh, I, I love that. I do love that. Real talk, though, I want to come back to real things that aren't just movies. I'm sorry, Eliana. Can I? The Princess I Bride lie? could be an influence. Me. The Princess Bride is real, Chloe. Uh, <laughs> I do think this chapter is. It's so well laid out with tons of foreshadowing about the Brotherhood Without Banners and further foreshadowing for some of the stories in this book, right? Like Cersei's plot, having a bit of a woods witch to do with uh, the prophecy. George putting contacts, you know, having, he purposefully is having these wood witches kind of pop up. We had Storm of Swords with the Ghost of High Heart. Uh, but specifically, the cat foreshadowing is jumping out, especially with Arya's storm chapters, kissing the head, bringing it back to life, not six times, just one. Kind of this reverse Thoros Barrett cat as Clarence and his wife, specific to this book's end, even with the whispers, right? Because that kind of reminds me of the whispering wood for Catelyn. Here was a hush in the night, moonlight and shadows. But 
all of that cattle and stuff said, it kind of feels a bit others-y, too, right? Mm. Reanimating the dead to serve huh. them. Oh. Hmm. Kind of like the soldiers. That feels like a hint. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like a hint um, about that. But also what you're saying about Cat in the Whispers, I get it. it. It took a while for for me to click, I'm sorry, like of how she can't speak very loudly because her throat's been... Oh, that's why they can't really talk, because their head's cut off, so they don't really have their vote. I get it. I get it now. It's coming together. Um, It does feel... I wonder if the others... I mean, especially with the timing, right? Because he's a hero? Hmm. I don't know. Feels possible. That is interesting. interesting. But very it also feels see. very Relore-ish because of the yes. kissing. I don't know. Hmm. It's all of it. All these themes. Yeah. Well, and the kiss really is what seals it. I think the kiss is like seal it I with mean, a kiss. She don't speak, but she remembers. Yeah. The heads didn't it, talk it, too yeah. loudly. It's all interesting though. And I, I mean it's all building up this kind of uh bone structure, right? For the chapter to as it ends and continues on by the end of Brienne's arc, we know where she's going, which is to the Woods Witch, to her own Clarence Crabs. Yeah. Well, before we get to the, those Clarence Crabs, Nimble Dick is, like, negotiating himself a new salary. He's like, all right, I will take you to the Fool for six dragons. And Brian's like, well, only if we, like, find Sansa, uh, then you can have some. And if we find the fool, you only get two dragons. And she's like, if we don't find anything, then you get fucking nothing. Because you've given me nothing. <laughs> <sighs> and so we end the chapter. Do not play me false. You'll not find me easy meat. When she let go, Crab rubbed his wrist. Bloody piss. You hurt my hand. I am sorry for that. My sister... Is a girl of three and ten. I need to find her before- Before some night gets in her slit. Aye, I hear you. She's good as saved. Nimble Dick is with you now. Meet me by East Gate at first light. I need to see this man bout a horse. <laughs> I like that line, though, at the end. I need to see a man about a, you know. It's quite pointed, though, of Nimble Dick to say, you know, before some night gets in her slit, because turns out that's what happened to his sister. She got raped by a knight. Well, and that's why, like, real talk Nimble Dick and Brienne, although she cannot trust him, unfortunately, later, she does not trust uh -uh. him in time. Like, that's why they get on, because they know knights are bullshit. That's, that's true. So that's well. a great point. Yeah. Great point. Great cracklaw point. <sighs> I'm gonna fucking fling you off cracklaw point. Oh, she's like, thank God, we're at the end of the episode. Thank the seven, thank the old, thank, you know, Relor, Relu, Red Relu. No, I'm just kidding. Thank uh, the great other. It's going to be real sad when Dick dies. It is. It is. Every time it gets my ass. Can't wait till Brienne won the wins a winner when Hyle Hunt dies. Wonder if it'll get my ass. I, mean, I doubt it. I doubt it, but like, wow, what if it did? You know? I'm interested. If, I'm interested if he can get my here. ass in the first quarter of T-Wow with Heil Hunt, and if I give a shit, that'll be really interesting. 
That'll be very, I, I would be very interested. It'll be very impressive. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to be impressed. Well, I just want to be impressed. I just want to read too well, you know. Maybe I won't be impressed. I'd be impressed if it were done in with me. <sighs> I'm fine. <laughs> My God. Well, we'll be back in, wow, in December, I guess, right? Yes. Uh, you won't hear from us for those of you celebrating a harvest of sorts, you know, this this November. Hope you enjoy. Have a great holiday. I hope you get to see some friends and family. We'll be back December 3rd with our next Brienne episode, Chapter 4, Episode 146. Yes. And if you have any thoughts on this episode or anything else you, that you want to say to us, be sure to find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, or shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and make sure you're subscribed to us on a podcast platform streaming nearby you, whether that is iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, where we're hosted, you name it. And of course, you can always find us on Patreon, where patrons $5 and up get an RSS feed with all of our episodes, plus a bonus episode every month, and this month is November. Yes, Nymeria November. I'm excited for it. It's going to be a blast. It'll be a great episode, and we can't wait for you to hear it. Yes, indeed. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Stay honorable. Hey, Nani. You know? Hey, Nani. Hey, Nani. Oh, my God. Ho. <laughs> Why is it just Thundercats, though? You know, like, ha! Like, that's all I... Every time I read it, Thundercats. Huh. Hey, Interesting. Nani. Hey, Nani. Hey, Nani. Oh. Hey, Nani. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>